You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. We're going to have a good time in the Word today. Did you come ready to receive? Did you come believing with me for revelation and insight? Well, let's tell you what, I know we've already prayed, but let's, uh, before we get into the word, let's, let's just open the word with prayer. Father, thank you so much for your written word. I thank you that it's holy. I thank you that it is alive and sharper than any two-edged sword. And Father, I thank you that in Jesus' name, we approach it with reverence and with honor, believing to receive from your word today. I thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus said he is our teacher and that he brings light and illumination to our hearts. And Father, we make ourselves available to that. And Lord, we purpose in our hearts to be hearers and doers of the word. And Father, I thank you that because of that, we will never be the same. And we believe it today. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope everybody received a handout today on your way in, and uh, I want you to take some notes this morning, write some things down, and uh, so this is week number two of our series called Redeemed. Everybody say redeemed. Say this, say I am redeemed. Now after today, I, you know, and I'm believing that this is a progression, that I believe what the Holy Ghost is going to do throughout this series is cause, um, or, or build rather, on the previous lesson. So uh, each week you're going to have a deeper insight into what it means to be redeemed. You know, that's not just a cute little church phrase that we say and we use, and, uh, but it is something that is very, very important. And I believe its timing is, uh, you know, orchestrated by the Holy Spirit that as we approach the The season that we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord, this is going to cause us to appreciate it even more. But let's look at our foundation scripture found in Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. And this week I'm reading from the New King James Version. Excuse me. And it says this, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers. Did you know you're qualified don't let anybody ever tell you you're not qualified to be a partaker of what? Of the inheritance of the saints in the light, he says. He has, Jesus has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us or translated us, the old King James says, into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins. Now, I want you to pay close attention to a couple of things in verse 13. Notice it says, he has delivered us. We are already delivered from the power and the kingdom of darkness, and he has already conveyed us or moved us or translated us into the kingdom of the son of his love. In other words, that you are no longer a a citizen of the kingdom of darkness. You are a citizen of the kingdom of God. You're not going to become a citizen when you die and go to heaven. You're already a citizen of heaven uh, now. Now, what's cool about 
the body of Christ is the fact that we are citizens of heaven, but just some of us live in two different places. Some of us live here on the earth still, and some of us are already in heaven, but you are already a citizen of heaven. And then verse 14, in whom we have redemption. Now, please understand this. You are not trying to get redeemed. You are already redeemed. And again, you're going to understand that more and more as we get into this. Now, I want to just say this, that some of the material that we're going to talk about today, and you know, and I always like to, uh, if I'm going to use some of somebody else's material, give them credit. And as you've heard me, uh, you know, share before, Pastor Rick Renner is a, a great man of God that I uh, read a lot of. And the reason I do is he's an excellent teacher, but he's also a Greek scholar. And for those of you who, who know, uh, the New Testament was originally written in the Greek language. So I always like to read after somebody that understands the original language. And the reason being is because I'm going to say this to you, compared to the Hebrew and compared to Greek, English is a very boring language. And what do I mean by that? Well, you'll find that as you study the Old Testament and Old Testament Hebrew, it's very pictorial. In other words, actually, if you've ever studied Hebrew letters, they're actually little pictures of things. If you ever, uh, you know, in Hebrew, see the uh, the, the, the letter that is used in when it's talking about the temple or the house of God, it actually looks like a little house. It's got two sides and a top, a roof on it. And uh, so, you know, in the Hebrew language, it's, it paints a great picture. And the Greek language is exactly the same. It's very pictorial, very uh, much more elaborate than our English language is. And so, I am taking a lot of what we're going to talk about today from Pastor Rick's book called Dressed to Kill, and it's a biblical approach to spiritual warfare and the armor of God. And I've taught on the armor of God many times before, and I've used some of this in that context, uh, but I, I dug this out because I believe this is the direction that the Lord wanted us to go in to understand redemption, okay? So... Let's get into this, and if you're taking notes, I want to give you four words that describe and talk about our redemption. In the Greek language, there are four primary words that are used to uh, denote redemption, to talk about redemption in the New Testament. Now, I want to say this to you. As we get into the context of the message and of what these words mean, I, I, you know, I don't believe I, I necessarily need to say this, but I, I feel like I should, and that is this. I'm not trying to be insensitive or culturally insensitive to anything or anybody, um, and, and we're going to talk about some historical things, and I don't want you to ever think um, that I am uh, have any kind of positive slant towards what we're going to talk about today, but it has to do with redemption. And you'll, you'll understand as we get more into this. So let's look at the very first word that is used in the Greek language to talk about redemption. So if you're writing this down, it, it, the first word is the Greek word akarizo, and it denotes, it's a technical term that describes the slave marketplace. The slave marketplace. Now, if you've ever been to Charleston, South Carolina, uh, you can actually go, if you've toured the historical sites in uh, uh, Charleston, you can actually go to the place where slave trades took 
place, where the actual slave auctions took place. Now, you know, and I'm not trying to be, you know, spooky or extra spiritually sensitive when I say this, but I, you know, when I was there and, and visited that particular place, you know, there's just something about it. It could be the knowledge of what took place at that place, but it's, there's just a dark, heavy feeling about it. And I remember um, visiting some family in Fredericksburg, Virginia, and, uh, and this was several years ago, and right in the center of old Fred- Fredericksburg, Virginia, uh, was on the corner of William Street and Charles Street was a stone that was probably all oh, about this tall and uh, had a step that led up to it. It was actually carved that way and sat at that particular corner for almost 250 years, and that particular stone was an auction block where human beings were actually sold and traded. And, uh, you know, because of, uh, and rightfully so, they have since moved it off of this particular street corner and put it in a museum now. But, um, you know, I can remember walking past that and thinking about what had transpired in that moment. And so, This was very, um, knowing and visiting those two places, what I'm getting ready to describe to you, uh, it kind of helped me connect some dots, if you will. Let me read to you for just a moment um, what Pastor Renner says in his book and talking about this particular Greek word, akarizo. He says this, that the slave market was a dreadful and deplorable place. Such places should have never been permitted Human beings were paraded in front of potential buyers and were then placed on the trading block where they were auctioned off like animals, old furniture, or unwanted junk. Now, what's interesting is, you know, when you say slavery, we often picture the last 250 or 300 years of our history in our country, but slavery is something that has been happening for thousands of years. It is not a new thing. Uh, relatively speaking. And so when he's using this, he's describing terms that were used back in Jesus' day some 2,000 years ago. And so, uh, so he goes on to say, so before the nauseating process of buying, selling, and trading human debris began, potential buyers were allowed to check out the, quote, merchandise. The slaves' heads were shoved up and backward. Their mouths were forcibly jerked open. Their teeth were inspected to see if they were rotten or in fairly good shape. As if this wasn't inhumane and degrading enough, slave-buying customers were also encouraged to kick and hit the merchandise in order to determine the slave's level of physical fitness. To discover the slave's temperament, buyers slapped them, cursed at them, spat in their faces, and if a slave could swallow his pride, grit his teeth, and hold his temper during such humiliating abuse, the buyer assumed he could be used to the point of abuse without giving his owner any kind of trouble. In short, slaves had no personal worth. They were viewed to be no better than animals. According to the thinking of the day, they were just another kind of workhorse and had no real human value. Their only purpose in the world was to serve the demands that their current owners exacted of them. With all this in mind, we can see that the Holy Spirit has told us something extremely important by using this particular Greek word to describe redemption. Because of sin, the world has sunk to a place where the world was a global slave market where Satan had gripped the hearts of men and filled their natures with violence and destruction. 
Now, what's so incredibly, uh, trying to think of a word to use, I guess just disgusting about the whole process or principle of slavery is this, the very people who were merchandising and selling these other human beings were slaves themselves and didn't know it. And what's sad is the, the church had a responsibility and has had a responsibility since Jesus died and was buried and was resurrected to teach and to preach what I'm preaching to you right now. But unfortunately, that fell off. And, you know, as I said, even in our own American history, as recent as 250 or 300 years ago, all the way up until the mid-1800s, this was allowed to take place. And it was because people who were involved in it did not know that they themselves were in bondage worse than the human beings that they were trafficking. And so this was the world that Jesus was born into. It was born of, it was a world of complete captivity. The beautiful paradise that God had originally created in Eden was gone. Not even a hint of it remained. With each successive generation after Adam, spiritual death drove people of all nations, tribes, ethnic groups deeper and deeper into slavery and total depravity. And so let's look at a verse that kind of just supports this, what I just said to you, and that is this, Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all men have sinned. And this just uh, escalates my point in the fact of, you know, how dare one human being think that they are better than another human being and can treat people this way when you yourself are in bondage and slavery and, and are just spiritually clueless about this. So let, write this down, please. And again, I, I, I had to get our attention with this because every man, woman, boy, and girl that is of age in the world is a slave to someone or something or both. Okay, nobody is exempt from this. And so look, write this down, please. Because of Adam's sin, we, you and all of us, were sold into slavery. And this is very, very important. And I think what has happened is because we have not understood some of these things, we have not truly appreciated what redemption means, okay? Now, Look at Romans chapter 7 and verse 14 in the Passion Translation. It says this, For we know that the law is divinely inspired and comes from the spiritual realm. But Paul writing, he said this, But I am a human being made of flesh and trafficked as a slave under sin's authority. If you're not born again, if, uh, the person who is not born again and, and I'm going to just use this as to kind of jar our attention. The person who has never been born again, you are regularly being trafficked as a slave. And again, you know, I, I, I hesitated using this terminology, but again, we have to understand these things. And so you and I, as, as human beings, prior to receiving Christ, we were the merchandise of the slave market. Satan would slap us, kick us, beat us, 
spit upon us, and abuse us in every way that he could. He would sell us from one master of bondage to another. In other words, what he would do is is he would sell you to some form of bondage, and once that bondage was over, then he'd put you back on the block, and another bondage would take over where that one left off. And again, we were too ignorant to see that all this was going on. So once that treatment was over, he would place us back on the auction block and sell us again to some other form of bondage. And outside of Christ, this is what the life of someone who is not a believer is like. Going from one master to another master and being in bondage. So, I want you to understand this, and here's the good news of what I'm telling you. Write this down, please. God sent his son into the enemy's slave market with one purpose in mind. This is why Jesus was born, so that Jesus could secure man's deliverance from Satan's bondage once and for all. Hallelujah. And this doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, Jesus came to deliver us all from the bondage of slavery. And as I said, this is the whole disgusting thing about history of slavery in knowing that a human being, no matter what the color of their skin was, thought it was okay to put in bondage another human being when they themselves were in need of deliverance and redemption. So Jesus came to deliver us all. He was born into the earth. He was born into the human slave market so that he could deliver mankind once and for all. Let's look at a a scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20. It says this, and these are the words, these are the phrases where that this Greek word akarizo is used. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20, Paul wrote and said this, For you were bought at a price. Agarizo. Notice there's no reference to skin color, strata in life, or whatever. Every one of us were bought with a price. We were bought at a price. We were bought from slavery. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 23, Paul says it again. For you were bought at a price, akarizo. Do not become slaves of men. And then Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9, talking about uh, the Lord Jesus and, and his stature now after his resurrection It says this, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. And this phrase right here, and have redeemed us to God is the Greek word akarizo, meaning he came into the slave market and purchased us out of slavery by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And so it's very, very important to understand what we have been bought from. And again, this graphic picture was used because this is the bondage that all of us were in. 
Let's look at the second Greek word that is used to describe redemption in the New Testament. And it's similar to the one we just read, but it is ex akarizo. And this is a compound word. And anytime you, 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 you put the word ex in front of a Greek word in the Greek language, it means out of. And so, and there's a typo on your notes, so it, you can fix this for me. But the Greek word ex akarizo means this, the purchase of a slave to remove them out of the slave market. To purchase or the purchase of a slave to remove them out of the slave market. You know, the, 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 the great news of the gospel is that you and I have been purchased out of slavery so that we can never be sold into slavery again. We can never be sold into bondage and put back into Satan's slave market ever again. Look at this with me. This word signifies the purchase of a slave to permanently set that slave free from the heinous place we just described, never to be put on the trading block of slavery again. Man, what a terrible tragedy it is for a born-again believer to not know the truths that we're talking about right now, and therefore, all of their lives, they remain in bondage to something or someone because they don't know what the Word teaches. So Jesus not only came into the slave market and purchased us, but this Greek word, ex akarizo, says that he came into the slave market and purchased us and forever took us out so we can never be put back into that market again. This is what it means. This is the word that's used in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. You're familiar with this scripture. It says, Christ has redeemed us. That's what this word redeemed is. It's the Greek word akarizo. And, and I hope now that you understand a little bit about this word, you'll understand the rest of this verse when it says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. You and I were purchased out of the market of the curse and can never be placed under that curse again once you choose to live free from it. Isn't that good news? So Paul is saying to us that Jesus' sacrificial death not only paid the penalty for our sin, but his death also removed us from living under the curse forever. Somebody said, well, what does the curse mean? Well, the curse is found in Deuteronomy chapter 28. It is the curse of death, sickness and disease, and poverty. That is the curse and Jesus bought you out of the market of death, sickness, and disease, and poverty, so those things can never become your master again. Isn't that good? Look at Galatians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. It says this, and that's the way it was with us, and this is the new living, before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, hallelujah, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. 
Now, let me just kind of, excuse me, broaden this a little bit. Not only did Jesus get born into the slave market, not only did he, by his blood, purchase us, not only did he redeem us out of the slave market, never to be placed in the slave market again, but he made us no longer slaves, but now we have been adopted as God's own children. Hallelujah. Now, so slaves, you know, if you're familiar with history, did not necessarily come cheaply. If the auctioneer knew that a buyer really wanted a particular slave, he could demand unbelievably high prices for that person. We must therefore ask, what price did Jesus pay for our freedom from Satan's power? Because don't you know, if Satan had any kind of inkling as to, to the desire of the Heavenly Father to want us, you know the price immediately got jacked up, that it went through the roof. And so what was the price that was paid in order to set us free? Well, this is the third Greek word that we're studying today, and it's lutroo, lutroo. And it means this, to set a captive free by the payment of a ransom. And so Jesus set us free by paying the full price. By using this word, Paul is telling us that our salvation is not free. I know it's free to receive, and it's available to every person to be able to receive because Jesus paid the price, but you need to understand something what Jesus did and the salvation he purchased was not free. It cost him everything. And so our freedom from Satan's power was extremely expensive. How expensive was it? Well, let's look at that. Write this down. The ransom that Jesus paid to procure our freedom from Satan's bondage and ownership was his own blood. Jesus shed his own blood because that was the price that was demanded. And I want you to think about this for just a moment. The price that Jesus paid for us was the highest price paid ever uh, to purchase a slave in the history of mankind. You never heard about an owner being willing to die in order to purchase a slave. That defeated the purpose. But Jesus did. He died in order to purchase you and me and to redeem us. So let's look at some scriptures. I've got several here uh, for this particular Greek word. So in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, the first part of that verse says this, In him we have redemption, through his blood. The word redemption there is the Greek word lutroo, which means Jesus paid the ultimate price for you and for me. He paid with his blood. Colossians chapter one, this was a popular theme that Paul preached. So in Colossians chapter one, verse 14, it basically says the same thing. In whom we have redemption through his blood. The price has been paid. The high price was paid. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20 
says this, having made peace through the blood of his cross. In other words, the price was the blood that Jesus shed at the cross. Now, Jesus, and this is awesome, and again, we're going to be celebrating this in a few weeks, but Jesus is the only person that stepped up and said, you know what, I'll pay the price for humanity to deliver them out of bondage, to bring them out of that marketplace so that they can never be sold into bondage again. I'll step up and I'll pay the price. And so he paid the price, shed his blood, died. But the cool thing is, is he got up on the third day to make sure that it was carried out. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad? You know, it'd be one thing if we knew that Jesus died for us and that he shed his blood and that he was still buried in a tomb somewhere in Jerusalem. And, and you know, I, I suppose that would be wonderful, but it's even more wonderful and absolutely uh, just phenomenal that he was raised from the dead in order to make sure and to enforce the deliverance of humanity. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 12 says this, with his own blood, not the blood of somebody else, not the blood of a bull or goat or some other sacrifice. With his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for how many? All. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption for us. He paid the full price. And then it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, it says this, knowing this, that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. You know, Jesus didn't buy you back with money. He didn't buy you back with some type of natural resource because that value can fluctuate. No, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The price was paid by the Lord Jesus himself. And then a little verse over in the book of Titus, chapter 2 and verse 14, says this, that Jesus gave himself for us so that he might redeem us. He gave himself for us so that he could pay the full price that was required. Now you need to know something. You were expensive, but he was willing to pay the price to redeem you, to purchase you, to set you free. Hallelujah. And so let's, let's look at the fourth word that's used in the Greek language. And that is this one. Apolotrosis, apolotrosis, it's a mouthful, okay? Apolotrosis, and it means this, to ransom or redeem and return us to the condition we were in before our captivity began. Uh, that's a mouthful, but here's basically what it means is that Jesus paid the price not only to purchase us 
from bondage, from slavery, from the marketplace, and to deliver us, but he also paid the price to put us back in the status that we were in before Adam's sin. I'm going to say that again. You were redeemed and purchased, not so you could just become a lowly churchgoer, a lowly Christian. No, you were purchased and redeemed, and Jesus paid the ultimate price so that he could restore and return you to the status that Adam had before Adam sinned. Hallelujah. Now, as I said to you last week, now part of that redemption is a process and we haven't entered into the fullness of it yet. But again, he made some down payments for us so that we could enjoy them now. Did you know, can I say this to you? Did you know you're not going to get any more peace when you get to heaven than you have available to you right now? I'm going to say this, okay? Because, you know, people have this mind that when we get to heaven, you know, we're just going to, have all this joy and it, when we're going to dance a jig and, you know, and all this kind of stuff when we get over there and be all happy and everything, you're not going to get any more joy when you get to heaven than you have right now. Your faith potential is not going to become greater when you get to heaven. In other words, you don't get more faith when you go to heaven than you have right now. See, you need to understand there's some things that we already possess. I said to you last week that, um, you know, just so that, uh, I guess, to give us a down payment of this redemption, um, there are things that you and I have now that we can enjoy and we'll receive more and the fullness of it when we do get to heaven. And so, you know, I use the reference talking about a glorified body. When you get to heaven and when, <clears throat> and excuse me when Jesus returns and catches away the church you will receive a glorified body that is exactly like the body that the Lord Jesus the physical body that he has right now and what that means is you will no longer experience pain you'll be free from aging hallelujah I think we're all going to be about 30 years old when we get to heaven. How, how, how about that? Does that sound good to you? All right. But here's what I want you to see. We have some down payments now. Jesus purchased your healing so that you can live free from sickness and disease now. He provided peace for you so you could live free from anxiety, worry, all of those things that come as a, as a result of man's sin, he purchased all of that and made it available to us now. And again, there are some things that will become fully uh, available to us when, when we are fully redeemed. Our redemption is made full is what I'm trying to say. But again, there is plenty for you and I to be able to enjoy now that Jesus has already bought and paid for. So, Write this down, please. Jesus paid the price to permanently free and restore us to the full status of sons. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Satan does not want you to understand what I'm telling you right now. He wants to keep you in bondage. He wants to keep you in slavery. He wants to keep you 
just like you were before you got born again. He wants to keep moving you from bondage to bondage to bondage and keep you bound up. But Jesus came to set us free. And what a terrible tragedy it is for sons of God to live in bondage. And that's part of what I'm called to do is to preach and to teach the word of God as, as Jesus said in Luke, the fourth chapter and the 18th verse, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach deliverance to the captives. So part of what I am called and anointed to do and our church is called and anointed to do is to preach and teach that you are a child of the most high God and you do not have to live under the bondage of, of slavery and fear and all of those things, spiritually speaking. Is, aren't you glad about that? Amen. Hallelujah. So this Greek word, apolotrosis, is found in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. We quoted this earlier, but it's part of the same word. It says, in him we already have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Now, this has been God's plan all along. You know, I, I didn't include it in your notes or on the screen today, but in just a few verses before this particular verse right here, it says that before the foundation of the world, he planned your redemption. God planned and purchased you so that you could be restored as his son and his, and his daughter. Hallelujah. So look, look at this with me. In using the word here for redemption, Paul declares that we were forever delivered from Satan's power. We were forever removed from that dreadful place of slavery that we described at the beginning. And now we have been fully restored by the blood of Jesus Christ and placed back into a right standing relationship with God. Please, please, please don't look at yourself as a sinner who is just saved. You are far from that. You were a sinner you were in bondage, but Jesus saved you. He delivered you and redeemed you. And now you are a child, a son and a daughter or a daughter of the most high God. Hallelujah. We are fully restored and fully set free from Satan's former grip over us. Somebody says, well, pastor, I just don't understand why it seems as I can't, as though I can't get free of certain things. Well, I would say the largest part of that is you don't fully understand that you've been set free and you don't have it down here. You might have it up here. You might be hearing me say this today and you say, well, that sounds great, pastor. But you've got to get this down here. You've got to get this down in your heart. There is nothing. Everybody say nothing. There is 
Not one thing, nothing that can keep you in bondage. Not one thing. Because Jesus has set you free. Hallelujah. Let's look at a couple of scriptures. Galatians 4, 7 <clears throat> says this, reading from the, the Passion. Now we're no longer living like slaves under the law, but we enjoy being God's very own sons and daughters. And because we are his, I don't know if you're ready for this, because we are his, we can access everything. Say everything. Everything our Father has. For we are heirs of God through Jesus the Messiah. I, you know, I just dare you to spend some time thinking about everything God has. Is there any lack about him? No. Is, there, is, is God ever upset and worried and agitated? <clears throat> Excuse me. And fretful? No. Not one time. Is he ever sick? No. Not one time. So because we are his, we can access everything our father has. You know, Jesus said over, I believe it's in the 16th chapter of the Gospel of John, he says, in my paraphrasation, but he says this, you know, everything the Father has is mine and I came to show it to you so that you could receive everything that is mine. Well, if everything the Father has is Jesus's, then, and you can have access to everything Jesus has, then this same thing is true. It belongs to you. So we can access everything our Father has, for we are heirs of God through Jesus, the Messiah. Romans 8, chapter, or Romans 8, verses 16 and 17 says this, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that one day, in the sweet by and by, we're going to become the children of God. Huh? Is that not what it says? So, okay, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that if we live perfect lives, we are the children of God. Nope. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So, okay, so it bears to question then. You know, I know people get upset about the last part of that verse. You know, okay, so let me ask you, what did Jesus suffer? Did he, uh, setting apart the suffering on the cross, because here's the good news, you will never have to suffer that. Okay, so what was the other suffering that Jesus had to deal with? Well, um, I will tell you, and I can summarize it in one phrase. Jesus had to suffer, just like you and I have to suffer, the surrendering of his will and crucifying his flesh to the will of God. That's the suffering that Jesus endured. 
Did, do we, we don't have any record where Jesus suffered pain and sickness and disease. He didn't. We don't have any record where Jesus suffered, uh, you know, and, and went through a whole lot of poverty, lack and insufficiency. We don't see where Jesus suffered any of those things. The only suffering that Jesus experienced, because there's another verse of Hebrews that says that Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered. What did he suffer? Having to surrender his will to the Father. Guess what you're going to suffer with? Having to surrender your will to the Father. In other words, uh, if you're going to follow Jesus, you've got to learn to take up your cross. What is your cross? The cross is surrendering your will, your flesh, your thinking to the will, plan, and purpose of God. That is the cross. So, that being said, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and if children, then heirs and heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So you are a joint heir with Jesus. So let's imagine if you had a, a relative that was very well off and that relative passed away and they left a will in force and they said, here's what I'm going to do. All of my vast wealth and things that I own and possess, I'm going to make them available equally to all of my children. That's what a joint heir is. A joint heir is someone that's equal with the other heir. Jesus is the main heir, and so you and I are joint heirs with him. Amen. I'm going to amen myself, if you, even if you don't. That's good preaching, Pastor. Thank you. I appreciate that. Hallelujah. <laughs> All right. So let's look at this. Write this down, please. Last, last thing. Through the blood of Jesus, we have been utterly and completely set free from Satan's control. Now, here's what I want us to do, and, and I'm not saying we need to do this now, but I'm saying that I want you to make some decisions in your life and make the decision you're no longer going to bow your knee to certain things. You're no longer going to allow yourself to be controlled by the devil any longer. Those days are over. Your bondage days are done. Your freedom days begin now. Amen? So because of Jesus' redemptive work, we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places and have been elevated far above, Ephesians 1 says, all principality, power, might, dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Therefore, Satan has no legal right to control us, our bodies, our families, our businesses, or our money. Although we once genuinely and legally belonged to him, we are no longer his to manipulate and dominate. Why? Because we've been purchased out from under his control. So when you read anywhere in the New Testament and it talks about redemption, I want you, and I hope you, perch, or, or in, in your mind, 
picture what you've been redeemed from. From that slave market that we all were in, you were purchased, you were redeemed from that, brought out of that, you were restored to sonship, and you can never be placed in that market again. That's what your redemption means, and that's what it means to be redeemed. The full price has been paid. Jesus paid the price with his life, his blood, and everything he had to give in order to set you and me free. Amen? Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church Podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.